Hello, I'm Jan Marshall and welcome to this Melbourne Business School podcast. And today I'm talking with Edmund King. Edmund is an Associate and Program Director of our New Leaders Development Program within Executive Education here at Melbourne Business School. Edmund has over 30 years facilitating executive education programs and has a specific focus improving the effectiveness of leadership teams and individual leaders. Today I'm taking the opportunity to get to understand how people can transition to a leadership role and to know the critical steps for success. And to start us off, Edmund, we know that shifting from a role as an individual contributor to a manager or leading role uh, is quite a big step for people in organisational life. Can you tell us a bit about what people need to consider as they make that transition? Thank you, Jan. Yes, uh, one of the key things that we've found is that in the career transitions going from the classical technical expert to moving into a leadership role, that the rules of the game have changed. And a lot of people don't seem to understand that and that they still bring their technical ability and their technical skills and try to keep it and work harder around that particular space. The politics have changed, the boundaries have changed uh, in there and they're moving from a specialist to often to a generalist. And there is no really sort of practice for that. And we'll often say that, that uh, what got you to where you are today is not necessarily going to make the difference to where you want to be tomorrow. And there's a simple framework I like to have a look at about challenging people about themselves, but also about with their direct reports, or as I prefer to call them, their direct supports. Um, the first thing I think people need to know is, what's my job? What am I actually doing here? And it's about clarity of task, role, responsibility, position descriptions, KPIs, task listing. And one of the areas where often conflict will occur is that there is a lack of clarity around what is actually specifically required by myself, and then when I'm leading others, what is specifically required by them. So that's the first question I think people need to make when they're making this transition is, what's my role? Second thing is, is where do I fit in? I think it's really important then that people have an understanding of what's the vision of the business, what is the organisational structure, what is the purpose of my team, where do I relate and work with my colleagues, my team members and other peers from other parts of the, of the business and what the re that relationship is. All too often we just find people get in and just start doing the job, but it's the context around which that is done. It also, the notion of where do I fit in reminds me of the, the story of, the, of a building site and there's this uh, lady outside this building site and she asks the builder as he walks into the building site, so what are you doing? And the, the builder turned around and said, I'm laying bricks. And then another worker works in and walks past and she says, what are you doing? And he said, uh, I'm building a wall. And then a final uh, builder walks in and says, oh, what are you doing? I'm creating a cathedral. And I think this is the key piece that people need to be able to understand. Where do they fit in? What is their role? And all too often we just have people who are just laying bricks. But I think the role of the leader has some real clarity about where their role fits in, what's its purpose, where does it connect with other people, and the broader vision of what we're looking for. So the first thing is, what's my job? Second thing is, where do I fit in? Third thing is, is how am I doing? And this is the area of feedback and the importance of ongoing, regular, formal and informal feedback. It's a really critical and, and one of the key processes as well, especially coming from a technical background, is that people start to understand you need to reward the behaviour you want. 
quite often they've come from a background of where they're minimising errors, they're looking at governance uh, in there and they're concentrating on eliminating cost. But now when we're starting to work with people and have strong relationships with people, we need to acknowledge their behaviour, we need to acknowledge and reward the behaviour we want. We'll get more of it as we start to move through. The whole area of performance management is is a conversation for another day, but this is changing dramatically. We've seen in recent times some of the leading work that has been done by Deloitte, some of the work that has been done by GE, and uh, also some uh, work to is being done by CSR, the Australian company, is doing some fantastic new developments in the area of performance management. The rules of the game are changing, and this is a key spot to be to be looking forward to in there, and that ability of leaders to be able to give each other meaningful feedback. So, what's my job? Where do I fit in? How am I doing? And how? And the next one is is how we're getting along with each other. In other words, what's the relationship between the boss? and their direct supports in there. Is the boss being open and frank with the direct supports about uh, their behaviours or is the boss having a different conversation with different people about their, uh, their direct su- supports? Is there anything not being said, which would be the key issue? So it's really important to be able to have those conversations with each other. So what's my job? Where do I fit in? How am I doing? How are we getting along? And then the fifth one is, is, is what's my future? When we're working, do you have clarity yourself about what your future is? What does that look like? One of the things I find is, is, is that really good people lose control of their careers. Their career happens to them uh, in that sense of where they're very proficient. Technically, they're really good. Then somebody comes and taps them on the shoulder and says, would you like to be a project leader here? And they say, yeah, lovely. Go on. They go on and do that. And then maybe 18 months later, would you like to be a team leader? And on it goes. And suddenly, when they look back, maybe after 10 or 15 years, they're having a great career, they're well rewarded and well compensated, and yet you ask them the question, are you doing what you actually want to do? They say, actually, no, I haven't really thought about it. And I think this is one of the key things about we need to be able to identify for people or assist them in what their future is, about some context around that, that process. So the key things I would be saying in making this transition, first of all, for yourself, what is your job? Do you have clarity around it? Where do you fit in? in there, do you have where your connections are, then how are you doing uh, in that notion, are you getting the feedback, are you giving the feedback, Uh, how are you getting along with people, and then uh, what's my future, and once again that, I look at a two year tour of duty, can you articulate where you're going, what you want to be doing, we know we're working in flatter structures, so often people have to grow out sideways uh, in that notion, and I'd ask people and challenge people to say, across those five questions, on a scale of one to five, five being you're very happy, one being you're very unhappy, how would you rate yourself in there? What's my job? Where do I fit in? How am I doing? How are we getting along? And what's my career? So, Jan, in that notion there of making this transition, I think it's really important that you not only have that clarity about yourself, and when you have your direct reports, that they have clarity around that, that process. Edmund, as you're speaking, I'm struck by the fact that a person moving into this new role suddenly has a lot more complexity to deal with. They've got to be thinking about the people who support them. They've got to be thinking about their own role. Uh, they've got to be you know, reaching out and building new relationships across an organisation so that their unit or area of work is, is uh, strategic within that organisational context. What other things might you say to them about how they could start managing that complexity when they're confronted 
by by this new role that they're taking yeah. on. Yeah, uh, there is a classic line to that is, and when I'm working with the participants that I work with, and I will ask them two questions: Can you outline your leadership philosophy, and can you describe your leadership style? And often in relationship to philosophy, I think that's very much about a person's values and how that particularly plays out, uh, what, 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 what they hold in high esteem, how they work with people. To the question of um, what's your leadership style, and in answering your question, it depends. Mm. Um, all too often I deal with people say, oh, they don't want to be collaborative, they want to um, work with people in an engaging way and so forth. But I think the leadership that, and the notion is about with working with others, it depends. Let the circumstances determine what is the best way to approach it. Uh, from that process. So we can have a situation, say for instance, with teams. We go to the classic team building model of Tuckman, which is forming, storming, norming, performing, and actually mourning in the team. So to have an understand about building relationships with people, so with your direct supports, for instance, within your team, you need to have some real clarity and understanding about what actually is, what stage of team life is my team at? Dr. Isvan Gorgeni has done some fabulous work in this space in relationship to the hunting territory. And basically it's about the relationships, the working capabilities of people and about the clarity of their tasks and roles and when they overlap. These will change very much about what stage of team life your team is at. So as we look at the, the, the team life and, and Isvan's model is very much about formation and the forming model. So it's about setting up the clarity of task, role, responsibility. So going back to that piece, what's my job um, in there as well. And then about clarity about where does it fit in. So this would be important to know as well. The next stage, which uh, Isfan refers to as the inside fights, and there's two stages of that. That's the war version and the silent version. Those who have an understanding of Tuckman's model would understand this as storming. Isfan has it in a far more sophisticated kind of way. And regardless of what it is, I think everybody who is leading teams must realise that their team will always go through the inside fight stage. And the inside fight stage is like having children. And your children will go through adolescence. You just can't have a child at nine and then they'll suddenly reappear at 24. And this is the difficult stage, obviously. Uh, in there. And this is really important at this stage of the leadership that we have. We work one-on-one -on -one with each of the individuals within the team. Once again, it's about clarity of task and role. This is not the time to sit down and ask people in and ask them to collaborate and share um, uh, their feelings and about where they are going uh, in there. That'll only lead to a more uh, friction amongst the groups uh, in there. The war version is, is basically where it is kind of an open warfare of where people are, uh, are, are not supporting each other, where people are, uh, are getting into each other's territories and overlapping in, the, in having challenges around there. The silent version is where on face value everything is harmonious, everyone's getting along well, they're talking about the weather, they talk about the football, they talk about their families, but actually what they prefer is peace to performance. In other words, they prefer just to get on with everybody uh, in there, not sort of uh, ask anyone else any questions. They'll sit at their desks, they'll come in at nine, they'll leave at five, they'll just do their job, but they won't have anything else to contribute past that.
So it's with that stage, a different style of leadership. How do we then move out of this particular stage? There are two ways of moving out of the storming or the inside fight stage. And one is, is uh, the, the, the romantic version is about the partnership version, about getting groups of people working together uh, and building that up slowly. And the other way is via a dominance version, whereby we let one or two key people within our team or within our business basically lead us through. Both are successful, both can work, but uh, the dominance version clearly has a level of burnout for individuals, it clearly has some challenges in relationship to um, what the people who are, who are being left behind, so to speak. And this is where in a business, for instance, we might just be concentrating solely on sales uh, in there and we may not be looking at some of the internal functions that go through. So understanding that there are stages that teams go through, forming stage, storming stage, norming stage, in there will be really determined upon the, the movement into the next stage. My experience is that most teams I work with and see initially are oscillating between the, the inside fights, storming stage, and the norming stage uh, as well. Then to move into dynamic balance, how do we keep a team there? How do, we, how do you keep your, your, your team going? Um, and I have this sort of rough r- rule of thumb is that you always change your winning team. Uh, in other words, what I'm saying there is this, is that, that you must at least change one of three things. You either change the leadership of the team, you either change the team members, or you change the goals. And I can hear people saying, well, actually, I'm the team leader. I don't want to go anywhere. I'm a team member, and the team member said, I'm really enjoying this. I don't want to go anywhere. So the answer fundamentally is this, to change, and that is to stretch and to grow the goals. And most teams that I've worked with that are working in this phase, usually they have about 12 to 18 months of working in this dynamic phase before challenges and issues come around. And we can see it through a whole range of different sporting contexts as well, which is obviously a good window into some of these discussions as well about how teams have a finite period and therefore you need to be changing that. So in answer your question about what are the key things, I think from a a team leader perspective uh, in there, it is about having a, a real clear understanding of the stages of team life as well. This same principle can be applied to other relationships with other people outside in other parts of your business as well. And it's about building up the relationship. And my experience is, is that people will go through a similar format, forming, storming, in their relationships, norming and performing. But it needs to be continually monitored and, and worked upon. Before I ask you my next question, Edmund, let's pause for a quick break. To those chosen to come here, and to the organisations they represent. Congratulations and welcome. You're making a clear announcement that you want to do more, achieve more and be more. While you're with us, you'll be among the best, learning from the best. You'll leave changed and then be called upon to lead change. So to you we say, welcome to Melbourne Business School. Welcome to the world class. Welcome back. So it sounds like in, in coming to an understanding of those phases that you can go through um, and that your organisational life will be going through those all the time is to, sort of, to perhaps come to understand that that's okay yeah. and that uh, organisations and teams will shift in their phases and perhaps go backwards yeah. um, as new members come in, as new leaders come in. And so we're constantly in this dynamic cycle but it sounds to me like you're saying that in order to be successful so we should be yeah yeah absolutely and I, and I think it's that it's that notion of understanding that ambiguity 
um, in that context as a leader making this transition, that it is not going to be straightforward, that it, there is a lot of ambiguity about it, and it's being comfortable with that. And making that transition out of that technical role where you were the, often the technical expert, that you had control of what was going on, whether it's finance or sales or IT or marketing in there as well, and, and being able to feel comfortable with a level of ambiguity, but knowing that it's actually not, uh, it's not witchcraft, uh, in there that there is a fair bit of science behind it can be applied and there's certainly an element of art behind it as well. Just to take us back for a moment for someone who's just moving into their leadership role, what are some of the traps that they could fall into? I mean, some people will try and take on work mm. that is familiar to them. So perhaps keep the work they were doing as well as try and lead the team. I know that you've explained how they might avoid those traps, but I'm just thinking what are some of the traps that they might be alert to in themselves to realise they need to be doing something differently? It's a really good point. Uh, one of the key things that I find as well as people making this transition, especially if they are then going in and they are still perceived by the team to be the technical expert, and once they're still perceived to be the technical expert, they will often hang on to that technical expertise. The first thing is the inability of people to delegate. And that notion of, I can do it quicker myself, I can do it faster, I can do it better than myself. And that's the, a natural sort of claim uh, in there. And I find people that will also, another trap will be is, is that they have time thieves. These are when people will be coming to them and basically stealing their time. And you speak to people and said, oh, I have a collaborative, I'm a cooperative person, my door is always open. And I always get extremely anxious when people say my door is always open because I then think, and the thing is said, that, that their time is not theirs. So one of the key traps is, is the key thing of about not managing your time and not taking your time and not owning your time. And it's having that capacity for people to be able to, yes, you know, to be able to, they will, will want to come to you in that technical space. They will want to, and you'll often go back to that. And that's where you feel comfortable. Often I'll see two people in those initial couple of months is that they actually go back to what they're technically good at because after a period of time when things are starting to be challenging and, and, and it's not maybe as straightforward as they thought, they think, well, if I can do my technical job, I at least feel I've achieved for the day. And often what that does is it, it actually uh, alienates the people who are working for you as you are coming in. And then some of the other classic signs are people saying, I, I'll get into work earlier. I'll come into work an hour earlier because I'll be able to get something done. Or I'll stay back and I'll work back later. Or if they're on the emails at uh, you know 10 o'clock at night and they're working through there. These are, uh, are key signs to me of about people who are not making that transition. So you need to have a delegation plan. You need to be able to go through and do a, an assessment of all your direct reports, all their key tasks. You need to be able to determine their level of competence across those tasks. You need to be able to also determine the level of commitment across those tasks as well. And then identify those tasks which can be delegated to the people coming through. As we sort of said at the beginning, the rules of the game are changed. The rules of the game are not that you are no longer the technical expert. Your role now is to basically to teach them how to fish rather than keep supplying the fish. One of the traps I've seen people fall into is, is that they'll uh, manage to set up a process whereby their reports are dependent on them mm. for decision making, for every everything yeah. they need to do. And I, 
I often think that is a way of people feeling like they're doing a good job as a manager, yeah. they're helping their people, rather than being brave enough to give those people authority to make decisions themselves, let them fail or fall, and have a process to manage that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point. I often use the analogy is that the bottleneck happens at the top of the bottle. And it's at that notion there as well, where people are, where everything has then got to come back through to them uh, in that process. And this is a real skill set of being able to identify those areas of where you don't actually become the problem. And quite often, the process starts with the team leader and finishes with the team leader and is held up by the team leader. So it is once again that rules of the game of change of being having real clarity around what that process looks like uh, in there, identifying those things and also about a level of standard. And quite often people need to understand that there must be, the leader must identify a minimal acceptable standard of the work, which may not be up to your perfect standard of what it would be. So it's about having some clarity around what the minimal acceptable standard is uh, in there and then developing a development plan for people through that process. And I think it's incumbent upon the leader to be able to say and have their people say, what am I doing different and better than what I was doing 12 months ago? Have I actually grown uh, in that process? And I think that that's the key role. So that goes back to our point about what's my future. Uh, in there, and I think that's a key role of the leader in that in that process. Sounds like um, what I'm hearing you say too is that leaders are, at, at all points in their career, but particularly new leaders, would do well to build some time into their week or their day to reflect mm. on what's happened and what's happening and where they are. You, you talked about them, you know, measuring where they are and where they've been, and creating some space for that. What reflection would be one of those ways of getting to that, I imagine. Yeah, I, I think one of the things of working at, uh, at the business school is uh, in the programs that we run and we build a lot of reflection into it. And it's really interesting to see often how people are quite uncomfortable in this space. And all they've been doing is that they just uh, plan, do, plan, do, just do, 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 do. And we find that when people can actually build in reflection and quite often it's about actually building it in uh, and setting time aside to do that reflection. And that's where the growth comes. Um, it is very rare that you will learn anything by doing the same thing over and over again. So where you, the learning will be coming is from your observations and your reflections and your opportunities to grow through that. So if there is one gift that I could pass on to people, and the gift would be, is that ability to set some time aside for yourself in a really genuine way and if it's half an hour a week to sit back and say, to have that sort of reflection uh, in there and to be able to identify what are the key areas I want to move into uh, in there, what's worked, what hasn't worked uh, as well. And all too often too, it leads to the thing about we're not celebrating success enough. It's just everyone is just on a constant treadmill all the time. We've got to be able to stop, reflect and all the great teams, whether they be sporting teams or military teams or political teams, is that ability to sit back and reflect. What about the role of a coach or a mentor in that reflection process? How can you work with someone to help you know more about where you're at and, and what you should be thinking about and concentrating on? Yeah, um, one of the, there's a key framework that I like to use is when people are reflecting, they've gone through an experience. Um, in, it might be, and I just simply ask three questions, what, so what, now what? 
So what did we take? So what happened? What actually happened in there? Well, so what? What was the, the impact? What was the impact upon the organisation, upon yourself, upon your direct reports? And then that notion of now, now what? Now what are we going to do around that particular process? There's a very simple one, which is the start, stop, keep uh, in the process there. And also it's really valuable to have trusted others as well who can, can provide and can sit down and can... Uh, coach or support and as a, as, a, as a manager of others is to getting to people to reflect on their practice uh, in there and I really challenge people to say is you know, let's say people have been preparing reports and they've been doing it for 12 months where is this report better than the other reports that they've done show us where there's been a growth or there has been a, an improvement uh, as well I mean it's that notion of people working for 20 years have they just had the one year 20 times over or have they actually grown through that process as well so the role of coaching in this notion is really important but it's about asking questions it's about creating the opportunity for people to reflect and is not a, th a process of telling people what to do but more creating the opportunity for them to be able to to spend some time and really power of listening is, is really critical. And that makes me think too that the role of this new manager leader uh, can use some of that technique of coaching uh, with their their direct supports yeah, yeah. Um, as a way of helping them to grow as mm, well. Mm. Oh, absolutely, and it's and it, it is once again going back to those points that I spoke about earlier about what's my job uh, in there and you know where do I fit in? Have those conversations? Uh, how am I going? Um, how are we getting on? And then that, then the fifth one is what's my future? And it is really about that that we to be able to have really genuine conversations about what does it actually look like um, in there? And this would be very very much about not telling people what to do, but, but creating environment via active listening uh, and that process about where they're heading. And there's no doubt now that we have much flatter, flatter structures that people ha often have to grow um, on a horizontal basis as distinct from a vertical basis in there. And I think that's the, the key role of the manager, that they can actually show how their people have grown over a period of time. And you mentioned earlier too that feedback, mm -hmm. uh, sort of more formally and mm -hmm. more regularly, is yeah. a process that people need to undertake with mm -hmm. each other. Sometimes that's quite difficult, isn't it? Particularly, say, if you're a manager seeking mm -hmm. feedback from your team members um, on how you're going. Has mm -hmm. you got anything? to help people think about feedback with others? Yeah, it, it's, well, first of all, about giving others feedback um, in that process that I think that, that 80 to 90% of the feedback you should be giving people over a year, let us say, and if we put it in a bucket of over a year, that it needs to be positive, um, rewarding the behaviour you want. And you need to be really specific. So it's not just, uh, well done job, uh, Jan, well, good job. Uh, you know, you've interviewed that person well. It might be something specific that might turn around and say that, you know, the questions that you asked were, were specific and that they related specifically to what the context of the person is previously saying. What you're looking at is identifying the behaviour for the people and then for them to be able to uh, either replicate that behaviour uh, in there being sp quite specific or to eliminate the behaviour if that's the case. So as uh, one of the hardest things as well is I find that further people progress up the, the management hierarchy, the less meaningful feedback that they get. Because quite often what tends to happen, they get people telling them things that they want to hear mm. uh, in there. So, but more particularly, I, and once again, working on the basis that 80% of your behaviour is reciprocated, I think if you've created an environment of where you can constructively give feedback to your direct reports and encourage the same back without sort of fear of reprisable or uh, in that notion there as well, is that that creates the environment for that to be able to occur. 
And is there a space um, in the team, life of the team mm. cycle that you talked about, I'm imagining perhaps through sort of more of a norming phase that you, it's a safer space in which the team could reflect on its process and Absolutely. take some time out as well? Once again, it's a really good point. I think it's in that initial formation or forming stage that we have, and this is the role of the leader needs to be in quite a directing space, needs mm. to have real clarity about what they want and where they want to go. And it is then when they've moved through the storming and into the norming stages when we can now turn to the team itself to ta start to take some, some uh, ownership of their team effectiveness measures, how they can work better together, what that looks like. If you start to have that conversation early on in the development of the team, often it can portray the team leader as being weak and indecisive uh, in there. It's a really fine balance. And one of the underlying things is, is that being clear about goal and task and role doesn't mean you're an unpleasant person and you don't behave in an appropriate manner. Mm. Uh, that's all very strong, but that's what people are looking for. They're looking for clarity from their leaders about being able to create that vision. Once the team gets to a maturity level where they can understand it's at that norming stage as you identified, that's when we can ask for collaboration, input, engagement at a more confident level. And you also mentioned mourning of a team. That sounds like there's some closure of that group or perhaps members are exiting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's the process is, and that final stage is, is that the teams, just like products, just like people, just like everything, we have a life cycle and yeah. we come to a final stage of it. And quite often at that mourning stage, there's two parts to it, or it's a disintegration, which is a much sort of stronger word. There is either planned uh, disintegration or there's an unplanned disintegration. So I mean by a planned disintegration would well be for instance something like a project team comes together um, and as it comes through, comes through to completion stage, the project is being finished. So there might have been um, a recent client I was working with was building a transport system um, up on the Gold Coast um, and they were building basically trams and so forth like that and that eventually came to an end. So the team then starts to, to then disband in that sense. So there needs to be real clarity of task and role, maybe even going back to a more directive leadership space in there as well, um, where people are very clear upon what roles they're working on now, where their future is and they're moving into. So that's a planned phase. People kind of understand that and can move through. The unplanned is where um, there's suddenly there's a, there's a restructure, there is a, there's a breakup of the team, there has been a major disillusionment or the team hasn't performed and it's just, just, just breaking up left, right and centre. And once again, this is not the time to sit down and I believe to have the negotiations about what's the best way of doing it. I think it's then that the leader needs to be quite directive and in control about taking and, and developing the plans for their staff uh, in exiting the business. Have you any last thoughts for our person who's just transitioning into leadership as we finish our conversation today? Uh, the couple of points would be is, is that being the, the technical expert and being appointed into there is the starting point. And that often the people are uh, appointed for their IQ and it will be your EQ that will get you promoted or fired uh, in there. So it's about that relationship. And I'd like to sort of finish where I started was basically on those five key elements. And it's really fundamental. If you have clarity around what your job is uh, in there, where you fit in, how you're doing, how the relationship's going and what your future is, and then you transpose that across to your direct reports and having that. And if your people are saying they're fours and fives across there, then your future is, is assured moving forward. 
Edmund, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Okay, thank you, Jan. If you'd like to hear more on leadership, be sure to listen to some of our other podcasts or visit our website at mbs.edu.